Jarrett, you just got back from shooting an absolute slammer of a muley. Uh, where was it? What state were you hunting in? And um, we set up in Colorado this year. Um, I've spent a lot of years hunting a lot of states, and this is my third time back in Colorado. And um, kind of the southern end of Colorado, but it was an incredible hunt. Um, I got really lucky, Matt's hunts. Uh, Got tagged through them, and he set up this ultimate hunt plan for me. Um, pretty much followed it close to step-by-step step from what everything was set up. I veered off a little bit and kind of wish I wouldn't have, but uh, learned a lot on this hunt. It was pretty incredible. Well, it all it all worked out. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe your veerings from the, the plan maybe, uh, you know, ended up playing <laughs> in the worked. final. Yeah, it might have worked, but... <laughs> But yeah, Alex, he's got a knack for that, doesn't he? He, uh, um, I went, he planned a uh, bear hunt for me, um, back in spring of 22. And, uh, I was, this is my first time, it was my first Western hunt and, uh, I was in, uh, Montana and, uh, the guy that went with me, it was his first time as well. And, uh, we both, uh, uh, we brought one bear home and I missed my shot, unfortunately, but, um, man, there were, there were many groups of other hunters there who didn't even come close to getting a shot opportunity. And so those hunt plans, they're the, they're the real deal that come from Alex puts a lot of time into those things. And, um, the proof is there. So, uh, once you kind of like, uh, let's kind of work backwards here a little bit. I'm, I'm listening. So, uh, at my job, I get to listen to books all the time and, I, and podcasts and, um, uh, I'm listening to uh, Son of the Morning Star right now. If you guys have never read that book or listened to that book, and if you care about anything that happens out in the West, uh, you should definitely uh, uh, tune into it. It's about uh, um, basically the uh, wars between the United States and the Native Americans in that last, that last little bit of that in the 1870s and uh, really focuses on... Uh, on Custer and, uh, you know, of course his, his big, uh, his big fall at the end. But, um, the reason I bring that up is that book starts with Custer's last stand, you know, the battle of little bighorn and then spends the rest of the book working back towards it again. So like it talks about the good stuff up front. So let's talk about the good stuff up front. I like how they did that in that book. <laughs> Can you describe this buck, this buck to us? How many, uh, you know, let's, let's mix in a little Western talk. So, you know, you do like the, you know, four by four or five, you know, five by whatever you got to say that way. But also, you know, we can say point numbers and, and, and uh, Boone and Crockett score or whatever. Just describe them to us a little bit. Well, it's funny. I didn't know how big this buck was until I actually put hands on him. I um, I found this buck. Um, I I just see this body and these horns coming through the trees, and all I can think of is like, man, that's a big deer oh, head in my life. And his horns kind of stayed hidden from me the whole time, walking through these little aspens, and. I only had maybe like a one by two window to shoot this bucket. And the whole time <laughs> I'm set up for this deer to come out at like 80 yards. Um, I was already thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow? What's my plan tomorrow? 
Mm. And I was looking at my maps and studying and studying. And I look up and look over to my right. And this buck's at 50 yards. Just coming straight to me. And I'm on this cliff face. And he came complete opposite where I was thinking any deer was going to come. So I I turn. I rearrange him. I know he's big. That's all I could see. I was like, man, I know he's a big buck. So rearrange him. Range him only at 44 yards. And he stops in this perfect little opening, slipped one through. Um, he ran about 126 yards because where I was, I left everything behind me. All I had was my rangefinder and my bow. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it it was so hard because I was like, man, he looks like a good deer. He looks like a good deer. I knew he was big, but I never knew until I physically put hands on him. And that was one of the most surreal moments for me because i've been hunting i think i calculated out today i've been chasing velvet mule deer for 11 years now straight wow i'm going for 11 years straight and i have one forky and one 185 inch mule deer to prove (laughs) (laughs) Is, is that what he scored yeah i haven't got an official measure on him that's what everybody's kind of we're still in that 16 day drying period but Mm -hmm. i've got a got an official score coming out um getting all that set up they're gonna actually head to my taxidermy place they're ready for them they're just letting them do his dry uh i think it's been around 10 days now so come yep. 16 yep. days he's open to get scored wow yeah that, that i mean when i when i saw the pick it, you know and it's tough to kind of justify it on a picture we were talking i so okay let me frame the reference here so so he sends me these pictures which I'm not expecting a picture from some someone. Any, I mean, knock on wood. I wish every client sent me a picture on the second day. <laughs> no, I forgot that way. So, so I go to bed. I wake up and I see I got pictures from like 1:20 in the morning, and and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not knowing what to expect. I open it up and I got this giant mule deer, and his picture is like, you know, he's like, he's he's got his arm up with his bow. And I'm like, he crushed a giant, you know, and yeah. and my wife's sitting on the couch. And I'm like, babe, like, look at this thing. Yeah. Like, he just crushed one. Like, I'm so happy. And then I was like running around the house. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, then you it, said it, you said it to me. It made my day. You sent it to me shortly <laughs> I after. I sent it again. I was like, yeah, I was like, look at this deer right now. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think um, so. Uh, so Jake and I, we were. We were actually, we had just done a dove hunt that morning and we were recording a uh, pick and bones episode and uh, you sent that to me right in the middle of that. And so uh, I showed it to Jake while we were recording and <laughs> he was blown away. So it was, that was, uh, that was pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, he looks like a total giant. And I love how you described that where you just see uh, the large rack coming through the trees. I think that's. I, you know, anyone who's had that experience, which if you archery hunt long enough, you will have that experience. I promise, uh, to anyone listening, uh, whether it be, you know, whitetail, mule deer, elk, something, you know, it's gonna, that's just going to be part of it. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, we have this ongoing discussion about trail cameras on this podcast and, um, I think that they are a useful tool. I think you have to be really careful how you use them. Um, But one of the advantages to maybe not using them is you get that surprise factor. Like, ooh, who are you? 
that is an awesome rack. I'm going to, you know, that's, that's the one I'm here for. And, uh, so I'm, I'm glad you got to experience that, but man, you had to be sweating when it went to 126 because you know, what, what do they say? Like if it's not dead within a hundred yards, you know, now you're, now you're wondering, Oh, did I just single along him? Did I get livered? Did I, did I, uh, you know, was it, was my shot too low? Was it too far back? You know, were you kind of sweating it when he, when he went that far? No, it was, uh, it was definitely sweaty after I, after I shot him, I left my binoculars behind. I left everything behind. All I had was my range finder and my bow. So I shoot him and he runs to about, I want to say it was 105. And I know that's just cause all I had was my range finder, mm-hmm. um, runs out there to 105 lays down. I'm sitting there looking at him, looking at him. And the first thing going through my mind is like, I got to start memorizing trees. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm picking back. I'm seeing, I'm not even looking at him. I'm not looking at anything. He, he bets down right there. Um, I'm just trying to pick out landscape. I want to know where he is, where I could almost find him in the dark. I want to know there's a dead tree to the left, um, spruce to the right. It, it doesn't matter. So all I'm doing is picking out landscape and range. And I know I'm on this rock face. He's 105 from here. So if I get down, I can take my range finder go back to where I'm at and range 105. Um, he laid down to barely, he gets up, moves, I think another 20 to 30 yards, laid down again. And I could barely, barely see him. I just see the antlers tip over, no movement, no movement at all. And I sit there until dark and I just told myself, I was like, man, I'm going to back out for an hour or two. And I'm sure he's going to be right where I last saw him. And so I'm at the truck just pacing back and forth, pacing and pacing and pacing. I was like, man, I, I got to get out of here. So I take the truck out and go and get cell service and just make some phone calls, talk to some friends, um, actually called work for a little bit and checked in on my, on my crew. Cause I was just trying to get my mind off of it. I was like, man, I don't know what happened. It's just happened so fast and it was crazy when he came in i was set up i had my bow set up to shoot out to 100 because i had a doe come out of that same timber line he was in and she crossed she was right at 97 yards okay and so i had my bow dialed down to 100 i was like he's gonna be in between 80 and 100 and at 80 and 100 really comfortable with adjusting my sight and having the time that i need to make the shot well, come to find out, he's 50 yards from me, and it was mainly 40 yards straight downhill, you know? So we were we were tight. It yeah. was – he was – it was right there. And I climbed the sketchiest rock pile, cliff face. <laughs> I think life. I put him there. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. And that wasn't the worst spot he put for me either. There is – I mean, if, if we want to start back to the beginning of the hunt, I've, I've got some good stories about my hunt plan. It, it started out pretty wicked, and I loved it. I live for it. Well, that, that, oh, I love that, it. Must, that must mean Alex thinks you're pretty capable because he definitely weighs that heavily into his hunt planning. What's totally physical capable. He doesn't want them dying out there, so he must think you're like a mountain goat. I know. I, oh. I just knew that he'd be willing to go to get a nice deer. So he, he didn't shy. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, good. I mean, I mean, if we want to hop back into this hunt plan, it was funny because the area I shot this mule deer in was actually hunt plan one. That was the spot he told me. He's like, hey, you're going to find deer here. You're probably going to kill a deer here. Well, I get there a day early, and we've got this high country, back country area that I absolutely fell in love with. Hmm. Um, if you go on YouTube today and you look up early season velvet mule deer, you're going to find all these guys out at 13,000 feet in elevation hunting this beautiful open country with cliff faces. Um, so I got there a day early. I was like, man, it's going to take me like an hour and a half to drive back there. It's going to take me an hour to two to hike in. Mm -hmm. I was like, let's go glass it. So I go out and I glass this area. Don't see any deer the first afternoon, but I fell in love with the area. I could see miles, absolute miles and miles and miles and miles. So opening morning, um, it was about two, only a, only a two mile hike in. But I think I went from like 10,800 feet elevation to right at 13,000 feet elevation. Okay. And so it was a hike. It, it was a hike in there, and I actually put a stock on a mule deer that morning. I glassed one up within probably the first 30 minutes of being out, and he just went and fed into this area. I was like, man, if I can hike around this saddle and get back up above him, I'll be within 800 yards of him, and I'll try to glass him back up. And on my way over there, I ended up twisting my knee, mm. and I was like, man, I am a long ways from the truck for not being able to walk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hike all the way back out of there, back down, go to my camp and I'm looking at maps, looking at maps and, and my knee is just getting bigger and bigger and mm. bigger. And so I luckily brought some vet wrap with me that my wife makes me take. <laughs> vet wrap my knee all up and I was like, man, I'm going to go hit hunt area one first thing in the morning. And so I go back to where Alex and the hunt plan told me to go, which I should have done day one, but I wanted to get out there because <laughs> everything in your mind is like, get deep, get high, get out there, like go do the back country, go, go at it. Yeah. And then you realize, man, I'm getting old and my joints are getting old. Yeah. And so that's part of it. That's and, part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have just a ton of backcountry hunts left in a lifetime. I mean, if you go on one a year, that's not a lot. Right. So yeah, there yeah, is that's, that, true. that's true. There is that time frame in mind. I've been at this 11 years and really only have a forky to show for it. I don't have forever. So yeah. I backpack out, get to the truck. I go down, eat some good food, sleep good, wake up in the morning, and I go to some burns that Alex had mapped for me. And I get in these burns, and I end up finding a ton of deer. Just mm. deer deer everywhere. There, there's no other way to describe it. Just deer bouncing around, running, eating, feeding. And I put two stalks on that morning. Um, I got within about 30 yards of a pretty decent buck that I thought about shooting. And I kept telling myself, I was like, this is a trophy unit, Jared. You've got to hang in there. Got to hang in there. And it wasn't five minutes after I let that deer walk. I have a beautiful four by four Ooh. come within 100 yards. Just gorgeous, wide, decently tall, everything <laughs> you think of, you know, full velvet. Yep. 
And it's magical. I go, yeah, I go after him. He gets in some really dark timber, and I just can't find him in there, can't find him in there. And so I pack out, eat lunch. I'm like, man, both those, all those deer were kind of in one area. And so I get on my maps and I actually find a hiking trail. And I had about five miles of this hiking trail map. And funny thing is it goes right through the center of my hunt plan. Like all mm -hmm. the spots that Alex plotted for me, all these burns, there's this trail and I had nobody's on it. Like it, you got to really want it to be there. Sure. Yeah, and for sure. So I, I take this trail and I'm like, man, I'm only 50 to a hundred yards away, left or right. What I want to glass. So at about one o'clock in the afternoon, I just hit this trail and I hit these burns. I glass these burns. I'm glassing fingers that come into some points, glassing some beautiful country. Now, now when um, you're describing this beautiful country and these burns, I I'm assuming that there's a lot of that early, uh, successional growth where it's, it's like real, you know, waist high, thick cover, you know, chest high maybe. And is, is that kind of what it's looking like? Um, the burns came back with a bunch of small aspens. So okay. it was very, very visible, mm -hmm. you know, in the bottoms of those aspens. And they had a bunch of, um, I believe you called it the Colorado blue columbine. Okay. And yep. So and that was actually in my email. Um, so as I'm sitting on the mountain, I, I read through my hunt plan over and over and over, whether it's vegetation, the area, the description, where I should be looking. And I go through there and I'm looking at my food sources and I'm finding a ton of this Colorado blue columbine. Mm. And so I'm like, man, there's food here. These are old burns. They got great places to eat. And I've got this beautiful dark timber down south of me and just north of me i've got these burns i'm like these deer have got to be working in between i know yeah. they're bedding this timber smart and i yeah, know that's smart that's good so, yeah, well kudos for you for actually looking at that too because like I, I know i put the food sources and stuff in there but like like well i like i was asking you like did you did you resort back to looking at your pdf because sometimes i'm like I don't, I don't know that people look at that they just look at their waypoints and he's like no, I definitely used it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, well, that makes me well, feel better. Well, <laughs> and, and Rasty and I, we looked at ours quite a bit too while we were on the hunt. We kept it pulled up. In fact, I think I saved it in my, uh, my what is it, the Apple Books app or whatever. You can save uh, PDFs on your phone. So that way, if I didn't have uh, enough service, I could still access it. Yeah, I I found that to be really helpful in my hunt plan as well. Well, it, it's tough. I'm I'm from Texas and going mm -hmm. to Colorado, which I've only hunted a few times. There, there's certain things I think people skip on their backcountry yeah. hunt, and that's finding food, finding cover, and being okay with moving through that country. So mm -hmm. many people get hung up, and I was the worst about it in my early years. I find an area where I'm like, I can glass so much country, and I glass it for four days and see one little buck. On this trip, I told myself, I was like, hey, we're going to be aggressive early. We're, you know, and I listen to podcasts all the time. They're like, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. And I felt like I've done that for so long. I was like, man, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to yeah. get in there. I'm going to get close. If deer, like, 
where I shot my buck, I glass him. I was up on a big peak. I glass him. I see him go into this timber. And again, all I saw was a good buck. Goes right into some aspens, some new young aspens. Gets in there deep, pretty thick. I hike all the way down, probably within 50 yards. And I'm like, man, I'm going to bump this buck out of here if I don't back out. So I only back halfway out. I find this really cool cliff face. I'm like, man, I'm I'm going to stay aggressive. I'm going to stay down low. I'm not going to glass a ton of country, but I'm going to glass where this buck is. That's mm-hmm. it. I'm not worried about any other deer in the country. I'm not worried about seeing other bucks tonight. It's only second day of the hunt. I'm going to hunt this buck tonight. And where I sat up, he came within 50 yards. I mean, wow. it, was, it was crazy. And it's a really cool trail. I mean, I could have hiked that thing for days and days and days and found deer all over it. But I just decided get off the trail, hike down, be aggressive, be close. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so first of all, that's, that's good hunting, getting into those positions and, you know, having that sense of when you needed to back out a little bit and, and give them some space and, and just let your eyes do the work for you for a little bit. You know, that's, that's, that's being a skillful hunter. And I agree. I think, um, yes, I, in fact, uh, I just dropped a pick and bones episode, uh, today, uh, that was, um, five mistakes to avoid during early, uh, whitetail season. And that was number one was, um, using the right level of aggression in your, in your Mm -hmm. approach, you know, um, I've mentioned it before on here, so I, I'm not afraid to mention it again. I so the first gen hunter podcast. I didn't start hunting until I was an adult, and um, a big part of me learning came through listening to Wired to Hunt, Mark Kenyon on Wired to Hunt. And Mark is is a, is an awesome whitetail hunter. You know, probably one of the top whitetail guys, right? You know th- that that are in the hunting media space, and he. Um, you know, is in a area like Alex that is very high pressure. Uh, these deer are, you know, super spooky. And I was, because I was learning from him through his podcast on how to hunt whitetails, I was taking that to Iowa where there's a fraction of the hunting pressure. And like you're saying, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I got to be patient. I got to be really careful. I got to stay mm-hmm. back and be observing. And, and I just started to see how I was missing opportunities here in Iowa because I was hunting like I was in Michigan. And, yeah. and so if I was in Michigan, yeah, absolutely. I, I would need to be very careful like that. But in Iowa, it meant that it was taking me out of the game a little bit. And so adjusting to that pressure where you're at, is critically important. And I think that that was a really wise call on your part to like, look at that historical data and say, yeah, you know, all you guys are saying this on your show. And it's not that I don't believe you, but it's maybe in this circumstance, it's a little bit different. And it turns out it was, and, uh, you went and you uh, made that adjustment and you got it done. So, but yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, some, someone might be listening in, as far as the hunt plan goes, be like, well, why can't you just figure out what the food sources are? That I wouldn't need to look at that. PD. Yes. If you have a month to go hunt, you know what I mean? Think of how long it takes us to figure out in our home States on our home farms. Right. Uh, what, what do the deer really like on that property? You know, 
where do the pheasants like to hang out? Where, you know, where do the, maybe down in Texas, where, where are the hogs and what time of the day, what are they eating through the different parts of the season, you know? And that takes a long time to figure that out. So if you're, if you got a, a week to hunt, that's not enough time to really narrow that down. So I think that that component of the hunt plan where you have some tips on preferred habitat, preferred uh, food types, that makes that compensates for that brief amount of time. Would you agree with that, Jarrett? Yes, sir. And, you know, one thing, and I've made the mistake of it many times, whenever you think you know everything, you know nothing. That's right. And yep. so <laughs> if, I'm, yeah, if, if I'm going to pay and do this, I've got to listen. I can't, I can't say, oh, I found all this food and I found this. And I, it, it doesn't matter if there's no deer there. You can find mm-hmm. anything. There's food everywhere in Colorado. But I'm looking at specific plants that he has mapped out. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I may see one or two here and there. But once I start finding groups of them and I start finding deer sign and I start finding mm-hmm. what they're doing within that region that he has mapped for me, it, you know, I think people – they say they buy a hunt plan. They want Alex, but X marks the spot. Sit here. You're going to shoot a deer. Mm-hmm. I shot my deer within the circle. Alex, put, but I didn't shoot it at an X. <laughs> right. You know, right. I didn't, I didn't shoot it like, Hey, look here. There's going to be deer. No, yeah. what I did is I took his map. I looked at the food that he had. Yep. I correlated it with what was there currently and put it all together because so many people, yeah, you can find food, you can find high points. But with that map, I was able to put it all together. I was like, okay, I found deer here. I found deer sign here. I'm looking at the maps. I'm looking in the areas he's told me. I'm like, all right, I've got all this good vegetation. Where are they going to go to bed? So I'm looking at that in between region of like, Hey, I've got this really good dark timber and it, fingers down into kind of a pinch point and I've seen some does working in and mm-hmm. out of there. I'm going to set up there. You know, so yeah. many people want so much given to them or think they know or think this it's, it's once you get there, you've got to put a hunt plan together. You can, you can scout e-maps, you can do whatever you want, but until you're there and physically seeing what you see, mm-hmm. I mean, don't get hung up on what you think think you know get hung up on what you truly know and what i truly knew on that hunt is i saw deer there i saw food there and i saw bedding and so i knew it had to come together and yes it's a big deal well and and, in credit to you there right so it's like even if x marked the spot you still need to know how to hunt yeah yeah like you know what i mean like you 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 took the details of the information and and you made the right decisions, you know, and I, we talked about it at length during his review, actually, because we're looking at three different areas. We were talking about the hunt areas, and I, I guess to kind of build a little bit of context, depending on a hunt plan, depends on how many areas they have. But it doesn't mean if it's hunt area one, two, or three that it's going to be necessarily an order of one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. His actually was an order of one, two, three, or one, two, four, depending on where he was going to be, higher mm-hmm. or lower, but. But the, but the key component was hunt area one 
people are going to overlook this area because everybody sees what's on TV and they think you got to be at 13,000 feet to kill a mule deer and, and mm-hmm. you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the reality was like, there were going to be good food sources in, in area one. And I think people were going to just overlook that whole thing altogether, but he took the information and he made good decisions based on the information. That's like such a key component of he's, he's a good hunter and he executed things well. And he really thought it out like that. That's all him in reality of it, because he he just made a really good judgment call on on the information, and that's like like nobody can forget that part, because otherwise he could have been an X marks the spot, but if he doesn't know how to shoot or if he doesn't know how to execute it, it it's all useless information at that point, you know. Yeah, so, right. um, so that's huge. That, that's uh, that's awesome. So uh, I, I loved it. <laughs> I love the way you executed it. And, and obviously, I love the result for you, man. I couldn't be happier. I was, uh, as I said, I was running around the house. That's <laughs> like a five year old yeah. kid for you. <laughs> well, I, I've gone into so many units that I've never been to before in my life. And you scout them, you scout them, you scout them. And then once you get there, you're like, man, this looks nothing like my Yes, mask. yes. This yes. is way steeper country than I thought, or this is way thicker, way more open. Nothing looks the same on the maps. And so one thing that was really nice is whenever I had my hunt plan set up, I start looking at all my areas. And I'm like, all right, what was he seeing here? What, where, what made him pick these spots? And I start looking at start looking at burns and I start you you've got to bring it all together because he's not holding my hand in the field right but what he's doing is is I'm not going blind I'm going with a game plan I'm going with Mm -hmm. an area I'm going with something I know and that's the biggest key is like I said don't get hung up on what you think go with what you know and Alex and there, there was a lot of thought. There was a lot of effort. He didn't just look at maps. There was more detail than I could ever imagine doing myself. Mm-hmm. And so once I found his detail, I was kind of like, all right, I see his detail here. I see it here on the map. And like I said, I shot my deer within his circle. Like yeah. it was right there for me. And so when you buy this hunt plan, just be willing to get out and hike, get out in glass, get out and find what he's telling you to find. I found the food. I found, I found the bedding area. I found the deer, but it was all right there for me. So don't think that, you know, go with what you know. And that what I knew was Alex. I mean, he, he put that together for me and it, I mean, I went out, I went only on three hunts and I put a stock on deer every single time I went. Yeah. That's, and so that's impressive. That speaks volumes. Like the fact that there was two circles on a map and within those two circles, I had three, four stocks, including my kill. So three yeah. stocks before my kill and fourth one I killed. So yeah. you can't, that it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, the, it the almost odds went are, a little too easy. The like, odds I'm tip, used to suffering. Yeah. The odds <laughs> tip ever a little more closer to you. You know, you're probably, um, you know, for a Western hunt, there's just so much ground to cover. And unless you're living out there, time is of the essence. You know, you're, you're, I would imagine most mule deer, elk, and probably bear hunts out West, you know, those are what, those are, well, I suppose you could throw antelope in there and that bumps the average up quite a bit, but but, uh, you know, probably between all of the, all four of those, I would imagine, you know, 
success rates are probably what 35% on average. And, and, um, but when that's, you have, uh, that's extraordinary. Yeah, that would be, that would be very good there probably. <laughs> so, but they go way up when you have a good plan in place for you and it helps you save that time and, and, and get, get to where you need to be right away. So we're, we're starting to transition. We're talking about the kill here. Let's, let's uh, jump ahead here a little bit in the story. Walk us through the, I don't know, the, uh, the last, I don't know, the hour, the last few hours leading up to releasing that arrow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was on a, I was on a really cool little cliff face glassing Mm -hmm. down. Um, I'd maybe only been there 10 minutes and I see, uh, a doe walk into some timber and it's actually the same timber. And this is while you're still watching, you're still watching that four by or looking for that big four by four, right? Yes, sir. It's the exact timber I lost him in. Okay. And I knew he was moved out of there. Um, 99% sure that he moved out of there. I'm pretty sure I bumped that buck earlier that morning. And so as I'm working this trail, I know I want to get back into that area later in the afternoon. Well, it was so windy. Um, I kept kind of glassing some areas. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to see anything moving right now. It's blowing like 50 miles per hour. I can't even keep my hat on. And so I was like, I'm going to keep working to that area. And I get there. And like I said, I was only there for 10, 15 minutes. And I see a doe work out of the dark timber down into pretty much some baby aspens and she works in there and i was like okay cool there's deer moving here let's just hang out for a bit drink some water glass around i could see a ton of country from where i was at at the time and so i was actually glassing back into a burn that was mapped for me so i could glass that burn i was about a mile from the burn but i could glass in there Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of cool pockets, bunch of cool pockets I could glass. Um, I actually think I could see two of the burns that were mapped for me. That's correct. Yeah, I could see two of the burns that were mapped. Glass them from the same spot. So I'm like, I'm in an area. I can glass. It's windy. Who knows? Um, sat there for another hour, and I see this big buck kind of come, just come trotting through. Like, I don't <laughs> think he liked being in the open while it was windy. Yeah. So. Yeah. He just comes from this huge timber line, trots through, and works down into just this pocket of new growth aspens is probably the best way to put it. They had a bunch of greenery growing out of the bottom of the trees, real thick, but open bottom, I guess okay. is the best way. And I saw him go in there, and I was actually texting one of my good hunting buddies where he was sending me some pictures of some game pictures of here in Texas. And I was texting. I was like, I just saw a huge buck. And he's like, go get him. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, texting. Good friend. Yeah. I mean, it's only, it's two o'clock in the afternoon blowing 50 miles per hour. Like I wasn't really expecting a whole lot. And so I hike all the way down. I'm probably within 50 yards of this deer the whole time. And I'm kind of on a tree line and he's in his trees. And so I'm just moving real slow, just as slow as possible, just barely crawling, just maybe taking a step, picking up the binoculars, glassing, taking up a step, glassing. And I never picked him up, and I knew there was a doe in there too. And I was like, man, last thing I want to do is blow this doe out of the country and spook everything as well. 
they're the worst. They'll yeah, they'll let yeah, you know it hurts. Yeah. yeah, they suck. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm down in there and it's so thick. It, I'm like, man, if I get any closer, I'm gonna blow this deer out of the country and might as well start hiking to the next glassing spot. So I find this really sketchy cliff face full of these rubbled up rocks and I'm climbing up on it. I'm like, man, you're going to hurt yourself out here. And the only thing that went through my head, I was like, big deer don't get killed where people go. Big deer where no one else goes. And so this whole thoughts through my head and I'm, I'm on my belly crawling through these rocks and they're kind of making noise. I'm like, man, if I don't spook him out of here, it's going to be a miracle. Starting an so avalanche get, further down the slope. Yeah. <laughs> I get up there and I'm actually sitting in this, like I get up and right beside me is like this giant bird's nest. It looked like an eagle nest or something. I'm not from Colorado. It could have been a pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I get in there and I sat for like two hours and the doe works her way out into some dark timber. I'm like, man, I bet that's where he's going to bed. I bet it won't be long. He's going to follow kind of that same path. So I move on to directly the face of this cliff. I've got one foot holding me back and my other foot's underneath me. And like, if my front foot slips, I'm going 40 yards downhill, like instant, just done end of hunt. See you later. Thanks, Alex. Um, (laughs) I begin to call from his wife. (laughs) Yeah. And, so I sit there and my legs are going numb. I'm like, man, you just got to hang it out. I don't care how uncomfortable you are. Just stick it out. Just stick it out. And I've been ranging every tree around. I, I wanted to make it where I didn't have to pick up my rangefinder. Mm-hmm. I knew every stick, Smart. every Way to push. Use that time. Every yeah, just click, 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 click. Just glassing and um, set up my bow. I was like, he's going to come eight. And I set up my bow from a hundred yard pin. And I'm like, I guarantee he's going to be farther away than closer. <laughs> so um, I'm sitting there, I'm glassing, I'm glassing. And then I, it's kind of getting later in the afternoon, sunset. And I'm like, man, he hasn't made it out. It's still windy. I just don't know if this is going to work. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you going to do tomorrow? What What's the plan tomorrow? And I told myself, I was like, if he doesn't come out before dark, I don't think he's going to leave this timber. And if he does, he's really got to hike it out of here to make it to the next patch of timber. I was like, he's either got this dark timber and where he's at or nothing else. Okay, yeah. And so as I'm thinking, I'm like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What's the game plan tomorrow? I look over my right, and he is walking straight towards me. Just absolute beeline right to the right of me, walking straight. And I'm like, oh, crap, there he is. And so I know he's super close, so I flip my – flip my side over, get adjusted all the way back down to where my 20, 40, 50, 60 is. And I pick up my range finder and I click him at 44 yards. And I had one window and he, I wasn't going to stop him. I was going to let him make his move. I wasn't going to make any noises. It was too thick. I was like, my best bet is wait for my shot. And as I flip my sight, and I look over, he stops right behind some trees. And I see him, he stands there for what felt like an hour, but it was probably 20 seconds. He finally just shakes his head. And I see him shake his head. And as soon as I saw him shake his head, I was like, next thing he's going to do is take a step. Yep. So I went ahead and drew. And he walked out into this little bitty opening. It was all I had. It was there or never. 
And I was like, man, that's a big deer down there. And put my pin on him. He stopped right in the perfect spot, shot, watched him go to about 100 and bed. He got up once, went another 30 yards, bedded, and that is the same bedded spot I found him in. And man. I'm telling you, I, I didn't know exactly what he was. I just knew he was big. And when yeah. I got to him, I, I actually saw his eyeball glare in my headlamp. I was like, oh, that's an eyeball. But I looked, and I thought his horns were a tree. I was oh, like, I couldn't funny. imagine that's them good, stick. That's a good mistake to make there. That's when you know you're dealing with a big animal. <laughs> it was so wide, his horns were sticking up so tall. I was like, man, there's no way that's my buck. And sure enough, that yeah, was him. And I went over there and put my hands in the pictures of him. They just don't do the mass justice. Mm. I couldn't, couldn't wrap my hands around his bases. He was so that's heavy awesome. and so big. And I'm kind of a little bit freaking out. I was like, I can't, I can't believe. So I'm just like, uh, all I'm doing is telling God, thank you over yeah. and over and over. I was like, this, this has been 11 years. This has been miles. I mean, I think last time I went to Arizona, we did something 90 miles hike that we oh, did. It was man. insane. And luckily I had like 12, 13 days to do it, but I hiked just insane amount of miles and it happened so fast. I was like, it's almost too easy. Yeah. And I was, I was pretty much talking to just God out in the mountains. And yeah. I think he reminded me, he's like, dude, look at all this time that you spent, all the YouTube videos, all the e-scouting, everything that you've done. This has not been an easy trip. It happened mm -hmm. in two days, but it's 11 years of learning how to hunt, learning, yeah, 100%. learning how to do everything. And it, it just yeah. came together yeah. and it was Kind of, I don't even think I'd still wrap my head around it. It's, I, I don't know. It was just, ah, it almost breaks my heart a little bit talking about it because you, you know, I don't know. It just, it's an experience that you can't explain to anyone until you're there. Yeah. And yeah. when you're there, it's deep. It, yeah, it's, it is deep. I mean, it's, it's deep. It's something I put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money in. I mean, people talk about deer meat's cheap. I've, I'm 5,000 miles and a lot yeah. of hunting gear deep in that thing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Yep. It was, and it's, and it it's worth every day. penny. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And, I mean, give it to Alex. My hunt plan was absolutely spot on. I mean, I've, I've, never, I've never been somebody kill something opening day or second day. And to put on four total stocks on a hunt with only going out and hunting truly three times out that's, that was insane to me i'm used to like hey one shot that's it one deer i mean arizona was tough hunting for me. Mm -hmm. but colorado i'm out there putting stocks on all the time and you learn a lot from everything every hunt every stock every mile and i've i've learned a lot about velvet mule deer i mean i learned how far i actually needed to shoot my bow 10 years ago I mean, I learned how much wind control. I was like, man, I'm five miles from these deer. What does my wind matter? We're like, well, there's deer there, but you're blowing out the country without even knowing it. And whether you yeah. see those deer run, they're just heavy bedded. They know you're there. Mm -hmm. yep. And yep. so, so much experience, much time. And like, I, I have God to thank. And I have a lot of Alex to thank too. I mean, I didn't go in there blind. I, I went in there confident. I went in there with a plan. 
Um, I've tried to put plans together in the past, but looking at my plan on this hunt is different. I had, I had food, I had ferns, I had, I had everything that I needed to make a successful hunt. It was, it turned out very successful. I mean, yeah. Alex got a one thirty in the morning text of some guy like, "Hey, look what I got." Yeah, dude, there's not, there. I gotta tell you though, there's like nothing more rewarding than a text. When you get something like that, it's just it's uh it's it's I don't know. There's just nothing like it. It, it. I I think I get more excited for other people to kill stuff than I do. So it's, I don't know. It's just it's 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 cool feeling. But yeah. Uh, qu- question to you though, and I and I appreciate obviously the kudos on that. But um, uh, one thing that I was curious of, um, in context of it, so you had, if I remember correctly, I think the pocket had two different maybe had a third um wildfire in that in that distinct area i think in a in a pocket of it did you notice when you were looking at a difference of each of the burns from like what the vegetation was like or was it all very similar at that point because they were burns at different points in time and i'm just curious of what what you saw there so one thing i noticed is we went from like these really piney trees and scrubby oaks to these really open bottoms with like these new new aspen growth and Mm -hmm. the base of each aspen was some sort of different vegetation they were about so it's funny at the base of every aspen there's about like two foot of vegetation with like in a one foot perimeter and then okay. it went out into these new grasses. But the one thing I did notice were those Colorado blues. Um, that is one thing it kind of stuck in my head and I was keying on it. And I was like, man, I'm starting to see a lot of those. And at first, when I first saw them, I was like, man, there's just some pretty flowers. And I'm scrolling through my hunt plan again, going through. I'm like, that's in my vegetation stuff. And that's something I don't ever see. I, I've never seen... I don't think I've ever seen that on any of my other Colorado hunts. I dang sure didn't see it in Arizona. We don't see any vegetation in Texas. We're a bunch of corn feeders out here. But yeah. it was it was cool because you did have a noticeable change in scenery. Okay. And so, like I said, where I shot my mule deer, when I was up a little bit higher, maybe 120, 130 yards higher, I could glass two of those ferns. So I'm sitting there with my spotting scope locked in one of the burns. I was like, man, that's a cool looking finger. I'm just going to leave my spotting scope locked in there. And it was actually the little draw finger that I was looking at was a spot I was sitting on that morning. I had gone in there and seen a couple small bucks, little little forkies and some does working through there and saw a couple cow elk. But it was, um, it was cool because there there was a noticeable difference in vegetation and scenery the only places i really saw a bunch of those young young aspens were in the burns yeah and that sounds about right what about um well and and i asked that question obviously i'm not there on the hunt with you but there is a distinction obviously in between dates of burns but um but to your point right like if you got a, a, uh, if you got a small conifer growing in one and then you got um, aspens growing in another, you're going to get different forage in between both. And likely, you know, the reality is in aspens, you're going to get way better food source than you are in, in, a, in a small conifer patch. So that immediately should should give you the, the idea there. Um, 
which is awesome. So you picked up on that, but um, I'm trying to get an idea now, as you're talking about it, you mentioned you were glassing with your spotter. Uh, how far was the distance that you were actually, you know, I'm assuming you're a little bit elevated high. Like what was that yardage from where you're glassing with your spotter to where those deer are? So the bar to the cliff face I sat on was exactly 1.2 miles because I drew okay. out line of distance. And okay. that's something I do a lot during midday is I start taking my maps and drawing line of distance to what I'm actually seeing. Mm. And midday is probably where the mental part of killing deer comes from because you've got time to look at your maps. You've got yeah. game plans. I, I basically, I look at that burn and I'm like, what if I see a big deer? What am I going to do? Am I just going to look at him, make a plan for tomorrow? I look at it and I'm like, hey, he's only 1.2 miles. I can cover X and X amount of time based upon my maps in because I turn my tracker on the whole time. So it's kind of timing me. And so I'm like, man, I could cover half the distance within 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, where's a high point between me and him where I can set up again? And so that's what I did. There's actually a really cool little peak that I'd sat on a little bit earlier that day and could still see back into that burn. So I knew I was like, man, I could backtrack to that peak, refine that deer. Hopefully that's always the hope, right? Yeah. It hardly totally. ever worked. Out. But I, I knew <laughs> I could hike there within 20 minutes. I'm like, Hey, even if it's five o'clock, it's only five twenty when I get there. Yeah. And I know I'm only another 30 minutes away from a slow hike in being quiet, sneaking in 30, 40 minutes. I've got time. And so that's why I spend a lot of my midday doing is drawing my tracker out, doing line of distance and whatever I'm glassing, I want to know how far am I? Do I glass something up? Don't worry about moving. You know, if I glass something in a certain area, I'm like, that's not happening. Tonight. That That's a game plan for tomorrow. I'll sit here tonight and figure out where I can find that spot closer. Yeah. And yeah. so, true. and the, there's only one other burn in that area that I couldn't see, but I went there that morning and it was kind of the same thing. I'm thinking it was a little bit fresher burn because the, um, the aspens were really small in there, but I ended up actually jumping a deer on the road as I was just checking it out. I was like, Hey, it's 11 o'clock. It's kind of hot, windy. I'm going to drive through this area and just check it out. And it was pretty fresh as far as the growth compared to the other two mm-hmm. pines were a lot smaller but i actually got out and just hiked in there i was like man i'm gonna look for deer sign see what i can see just just hike in there don't blow it up just check out a few things get back to the truck and so i went into that area and it, you know found deer sign but i was like man that's kind of a hard area to glass i'm like i'm gonna have to kind of still hunt it and so I reverted back to those areas because, like, I've got a point, I can see two burns, and I can see a lot of different pockets of what I want to see. And when I say what I want to see is it looked just like the areas that were mapped for me. I was like, I knew I have young pines, I've got vegetation. It It's this close to what Alex is pointing me to. And I'm still looking at what Alex is pointing me to, but it's all, you just kind of like, basically when I studied my hunt plan, I was like, why did Alex choose this? And 
once I saw it with my eyes, I could understand it a lot more than my map. So I'm like, all right, visually, what am I looking for? And I found multiple areas sat in one spot where I'm like, hey, I can see it all. I can see mm -hmm. the, these young pines. I can see this, this, and this. And I've got this really cool patch of dark timber where they've got to be bedded. And they all, like, if I showed you my maps, they all kind of come to the same dark timber. I was like, I'm yep. got to be the spot that they're bedding in. And so that's that's kind of how I played my hunt. I mean, I spend a lot more time on maps during my hunt than before. Yeah. Like come come eleven to one, it is map time. It is study what I see and it is drawn lines. Like yeah. How far am I? Yeah, I like how I like how you describe it. It's almost like halftime of a football game. You know, a lot of time you can look at halftime in two different ways. You can look at it as just a time to chill and relax and you know sip on your gatorade and eat a banana and and uh you know look forward to the second half of the action or you can look at it as a time to get more mentally uh refocused uh, make those adjustments from what you saw during the first part of the day going into the second half of the day and uh, that's a, that's really a great way to use that and then i like also to your point on you know yeah you're going through the hunt plan you're getting this information but then when you really see it uh you know for so many people um they got to see it in real life in order to fully grasp it and fully understand it and i think that there's there's a ton of tips there that that just go along with the reality of using e-scouting to prepare for the hunt so but man congratulations such a uh, fantastic story a, a buck worthy of your efforts i love how you said you know the big ones go where people don't and uh, that's a good that's a good motto for people to uh kind of live by when they go on these hunts and and of course you know stay within your wheelhouse of capability it sounds like you made a couple adjustments there you had to when you tweaked your knee a little bit and and you know you had to you had to be smart you know no no animal is worth you know you're breaking your neck over to to try and get and so you gotta still make you know those smart decisions but pushing as far as you can reasonably and and clearly you're rewarded and, uh, man, Alex hats off to you as well for, you know, I, th I think, uh, people probably, you know, when they, they look at hunt planners, they probably think, oh, I bet he just does the bare minimum and he, and he, you know, just gives some generic information and, and, and all that. And that is just so far from the truth. Alex puts his heart and soul as if he's planning for his own hunt. He, uh, puts that kind of effort in there, custom fits it to the person going on the hunt and um, provides plenty of options because anything that can go wrong will go wrong sometimes. Sometimes it all just comes together perfectly on day two. Um, but uh, Alex ac accommodates for all of that. So, you know, a big hats off to both of you guys, Alex, for putting a uh, just a dynamite plan together. And then Jarrett for uh, using that plan as a launch pad to pair mm -hmm. with good hunting and good shooting to, uh, to get it all done. So 
thank you very much, fellas, for coming on and uh, doing this uh, this episode, this Pick and Bones episode. I know uh, you're listening in. It's a little bit longer, uh, but that's okay. We've had uh, some pretty quick hitters here the last several weeks on Pick and Bones, and sometimes it's just great to hear a good hunting story. Um, do remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is the best hunt mapping service there is. And uh, getting into this uh, whitetail time of year, uh, it's got the best deer behavior prediction aspect to it as well. And um, I heard on another podcast recently, somebody brought up um, the efficacy of of these deer behavior prediction aspects that there's a couple of them out there. And, uh, the person they asked, he's like, yeah, you know what? I think they do get a lot of things right. And I know that to be true with uh, Spartan forge, you know, the, the way the question was kind of pitched out there, they wanted the person to kind of like, you know, take shots at all oh, that stuff. You don't need that. You just need to get out there. No, he was, this is a, you know, really skilled bow hunter. And, uh, he, uh, he, saying the praises of of um the the science behind it and the gathering of data and that is what spartan forge is based off of it's not just some inkling of of somebody or some you know anecdotal evidence it is radio collar data that is sifted through custom fit to your gps location and gives you a very accurate expectation for what you can expect to see um, for deer movement in your specific area. So, uh, definitely go to the link in the show notes and, uh, get on board, get the free download of the app and you can start using the mapping and then subscribe to, uh, the other features that come with it. Like the deer behavior prediction, I believe it's, uh, only seven ninety nine a month, or you can just get a whole year subscription, save a good chunk of money. And I believe that is twenty nine ninety nine. And that's what I do. I'm pretty sure that's what Alex does. And that's what um, Caleb does as well, because we're always scouting and we're always looking at that stuff and we're always doing all the, the e-scouting like Jarrett talked about. And, uh, but do also remember too that, and, and Bill, I know Bill, well, he's the founder of Spartan Forge. He'd tell you to get out there and see it for yourself too. Don't just totally rely on the, the maps like, like Jarrett was talking about. It's going to, you know, be a little bit different when you see it in person how the land lays and, and how you need to hunt it. So, so take that in consideration too, but find that link, get going with uh, Spartan Forge. You can also find it in the uh, um, bio of my Instagram profile and go to my link tree there and you'll see a link for Spartan Forge. And then of course the guy on, on uh, the podcast night, Alex Gruen over at East West Hunts. I mean, wh- what else is there to say folks? You just heard a perfect testimony of, of why you should consider Alex's services. Um, there's, you know, there's so many things. One of the things I'm starting to, I want to find a good way of, of stating this at some point. Um, uh, we think of like the days of the old mountain men and the great native American hunters and the, the, um, you know, even the earliest settlers in the country and how, effective they were with their hunting right now let's think about this in terms of today they did not have hunting seasons they did not have legal hunting hours they did not have uh weapons limitations you know they they could go and spend months to uh get a a trophy 
and uh, get food and and uh, like that was their job for for weeks you know oh it's the time of year when i have to go get meat for my family to survive through the winter you do not have that luxury you especially when you're going on a destination hunt most people are not going to be out there for months on end until they get it done you're going to have one week most likely and you have to make the most of that one week you just heard how Jarrett did it now you need to go do it as well. You can do the DIY thing all you want and more power to you, but you're probably going to be doing like like what Jared talked about, 11 years of trying and and you know, it it paid off, you know, but it's like it supercharged him once he got on with getting a hump plan done. And uh, there's no Rasty and I would still be wandering out in the you know out in the northwest Montana right now trying to find our way back to the vehicle <laughs> had we not had we not had a hunt plan from Alex and uh, uh, it's just the proof is there you just heard it in this story really strongly just just start don't even worry about the money right away just get the free consultation no strings attached Alex isn't that kind of guy he's not gonna. He's not going to grab you by the elbow and and hold you in place until you throw money at him. He might even tell you, yeah, you know what? Your goals sound like probably this isn't for you. He'll tell you that. I know he will. Um, but if he <laughs> if he thinks if he thinks he can help you and he thinks that your goals as a hunter line up well for your service, you will at the end of it just like Jarrett would tell you right now. That he's never you you'll say that is some of the best money I've ever spent. Uh, and, uh, uh, you'll, when you're looking at that trophy for the rest of your life, you'll be so glad that you went with Alex. So go to east hunts.com. Tell them this podcast sent you there. Uh, tell them you heard about Alex on the first gen hunter podcast or use the promo code first gen 10. You'll save yourself 10% off of, uh, that hunt plan or tag app service or gear rental, whatever it is, maybe all three that you go with, with Alex. And uh, he'll honor that and uh, save you a little bit of money. And that trophy that I was just talking about that you're going to be looking at for the rest of your life, you can make sure that you want to be looking at it for the right reasons. And the right reasons are because you're admiring it, not because you're regretting it and you're wondering if you should uh, cut the antlers off and use them for rattling antlers because you went with cheap taxidermy. Don't go with cheap taxidermy, people. See it all the way through. Go with quality taxidermy. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy. Old Barn is a nationwide, meaning that you can send stuff to them. They, they've done work all over the country. Uh, they're based here in Iowa, so they're mostly, most of their work comes from the Midwest. But, uh, in fact, uh, Sam used to have a shop out in Colorado as well. But he had to do spend so much time on an airplane that, that uh, everything just comes to their shop in uh, um, Iowa now. But Old Barn Taxidermy is as quality of work as, as you can as you can find. Over 500 shoulder mounts a year, um, uh, or sorry, over 500 deer come through, most of which I believe are shoulder mounts, but they also do quite a few European mounts, um, and that's just deer. They do mountain lions, they do bear rugs, they do turkeys, they do waterfowl, they do fish, they do it all. And they've been doing it all for decades. So go to Old Barn Taxidermy. You can find a link in these show notes. Please tell them that I sent you there. That way they know that our partnership is a good one. And uh, and uh, I want to know that too. 
And so uh, I, I love the work. I've been going to them for, for several years now, and I couldn't be happier. Every time someone comes over to see the buck, they compliment it and say, beautiful animal, man, that looks great. Um, it's truly a work of art when you get it back. And, um, um, you know, I like Sam's attitude about it. He says, we can't make it look as good as God did, but we try our best to get as close to it. And uh, I think that pretty much that pretty much sums it up. So make sure you check out Old Barn Taxidermy. Well, thank you again to Jarrett and Alex. Thank you to the listeners. Please, uh, if you're loving the podcast, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps others find us and hopefully learn a little bit more about how uh, what this hunting culture experience lifestyle is all about and how to maximize it a little bit more each and every time they set foot in the woods so please if you wouldn't mind doing that i'd greatly appreciate it Till next time everyone take care and take someone hunting